Welcome to the Apartment Operators Podcast, where you can learn from experienced operators what it really means to be an apartment operator. No fluff, no sugarcoating, just the raw, unfiltered truth of the ups and downs of operating multifamily communities. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Apartments Operator Podcast. I'm the host, Joseph Goslan, and today we have Steve and Michelle with us to tell us about their organization and their operations. Steve, welcome to the show. Let's get started with you. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your portfolio, what are you guys doing, and then we'll switch over to Michelle. Sure, sounds good. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us, Joseph. Um, I'm Steve Firestone. My company is Crown Bay Group. Uh, I started that about, well, well, about six or a little bit more years ago. We started buying uh, multifamily or larger multifamily from about two, 2015. I think it's when we really started ramping up and getting our first deals done. Um, I have done about, I think about 13 deals total over the last five years. We've probably gone full cycle at about six or maybe even more properties. Um, uh, mostly C space properties, C plus properties, anywhere from roughly 100 units up to 300 and something uh, per, per property. Um, I, you know, at our peak, it was probably uh, just about 2,000 units, and uh, a lot of them were, you know, we, we were lucky enough to hit our long-term or five-year sort of goals in like two years, so we sold off a lot of stuff as as we hit our projections, and um, last year, uh, really good with hindsight now, but uh, we sold about four, if not five properties last year. Uh, by December, we were all done, and uh, waiting to sort of take up the next space of us scaling up the company. And uh, then, of course, this happened uh, with COVID, what's happening now. And so to put a little bit of a damper on that, but I was happy that we sold off a lot of stuff. So uh, now we're just really ramping up, um, you know, despite what's happening uh, of the next phase of growing Crown Bay Group. Um, Michelle uh, actually is our director of operations. She runs Crown Bay Management. We have our own separate management company. Uh, that mostly just runs our own properties right now. Uh, we have been doing it for about three years. And um, yeah, that, that's it. That's awesome. Michelle, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. how you joined the group? I joined Steve three and a half years ago when he started Crown Bay Management. Um, I've been in the business for 31 years now, started out as a leasing agent, worked my way up. Um, I've done everything from brand new construction, building properties from the ground up to foreclosures, receiverships, and anything in between. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, get the hell out as fast as your feet will take you. Um, so I've done it all. There's not much I haven't experienced in property management in my 31 years. Um, and it's definitely a, a, a fun job. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely keeps you on your toes. I, I oh, every day it's something out. new. Okay, so awesome. So we're kind of jumping straight into the question we ask all of our operators, third party versus self-management. And it sounds like you made the transition from third party to self-management about three years ago. Uh, what was the driver there, Steve, to, to switch um, over? I mean, at first it was, uh, you know, like, I guess everybody thinks you need you need, you need a, a management company to, to trust when you're first starting out. And, uh, you know, I, I spoke to most of the management companies, at least in this market in Atlanta, where, where we started buying and uh, pick, picked out a company that I, you know, started a you know, sort of relationship with that I thought would be good, good, you know, pretty good reputation. 
Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was okay until you know better, you know, it, it's only once you're more knowledgeable when you start finding out how not okay it really is. Um, so we did that for, for a while, a couple of years and, uh, you know, things just weren't going right. Uh, I felt a lot like I was, uh, paying them and I still had to look over their shoulder. So, you know, I know that's a sort of asset management, but it's not really what I intended to do to have to keep an eye on them. They should know what they're doing. And, um, you know, as we took over properties from other operators and other management companies, that's when you really start finding out that a lot of them, most of them, are all the same. And really with management companies, that your interests really aren't aligned. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, their reputation is built on running your properties properly. So, you know, there is something to that. But on the other hand, they're also, and usually the top people that are running the company, uh, are interested in building their company. So you really just get pushed up onto, you know, a regional manager and whatever staff she hires or he hires. And um, you're only as good, it doesn't matter about the company, you're almost only, only as good as the people who they hire and who's keeping an eye on them. And half the time, you don't even have a, a regional manager that is that great. So nobody is sort of checking them. So it, it really just um, was a big mess. And I, you know, thought about starting a management company like, I'm sure everybody does when, you know, you always think, oh, when I get to that number, whatever it is that people tell you, you have to have uh, to, to make it viable. And uh, unless someone pushes you into it, which is what happened to me, sometimes you need a push to get started in anything in life, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, Michelle was working for a big company for quite a while, running his huge portfolio, uh, which was nationwide from, from here where we are. And, um, you know, I had, funny enough, I had met that, met, her and another guy that worked there when I first came here and we had lunch and they were trying to, you know, get my business, uh, as, as management. And then we, I didn't, you know, really think about it that much or, or talk to Michelle again for years. And, uh, but I was friendly ish with, I got friendly with the, basically what her boss or was the president of their company and, um, you know, sort of friendly ish. And then, uh, he called me one day and I found out, or he told me he was leaving, retiring or you know, moving on after he'd been there for a long time. And then about, that was about two months later, he called me and then Michelle had left too. Cause she did, you know, she had only ever worked, you know, under for him for eight years and didn't answer to anybody else in this company. So, uh, I guess they brought in someone else and it wasn't the same anymore. And, she decided she wanted to leave. So he called me up and said, you know, I left. Well, Michelle's, Michelle's left too now. And he goes, remember Michelle? I was like, yeah. And he said, well, you are never going to get an opportunity like this again. You are starting a management company. I'm like, I am? I'm like, I got like a thousand units. That's how, how the heck can I do that? He's like, I'm telling you, you got to talk to her. And the rest is history. <laughs> and yeah. it just so happened by coincidence. She lives not far from me. And we started meeting up and talking about it. And, you know, whether she was willing to start a company from scratch and all that and we just worked our way into it and you know once we got to that stage and did it it was amazing to me uh that you know how much i i, I mean i knew we could do better with our own management but i didn't realize how bad it really was until yeah. michelle took over and uncovered the same things on every property as we took them back from third party one at a time it was kind of like the same issues the same problems on every property you know, that I didn't even notice. And then, you know, and at the same time, things like reducing expenses, raising occupancy, 
you know, raising up, you know, just income, everything just all happened in an exactly set, set time. Mm -hmm. Each property was identical. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here, right? So, yeah. but what I always find amazing, and, and this is what this podcast is for, right? We talk to experienced operators, people that are in the field and doing the job, and the stories are identical. It's just so, so incredible that we're all going through the same process, right? You start with, when in very, very small percentage, start with their own property management right out of the gate, right? So we're all told, oh, you got to get to 1,200 units, 1,500 units before you can uh, uh, justify a management company. And we go with third party and we all have the exact same issues. And like you said, at the bottom line, they're only as good as the regional and the on-site team that they hired for your properties. And, and still, a property management company needs checks and balances and processes and procedures and making sure that just because they have a book doesn't mean that the people in the field actually go follow that book, right? So mm -hmm. um, same challenges we keep hearing over and over and over from all of our different operators. And we've been hit with the exact same thing. Uh, and and I, I like how you said, at some point, you just get a little push, right? That, yeah. that pushes yeah. you over the threshold. And that's what happened to us at the beginning of the year, just before the whole COVID blew up, right? We got that push and, and, and we took over and created our own management company. Um, I found a regional like it, just like you did, and she's our VP of operation now. Um, and I'd love to hear from you, Michelle, a little bit about your perspective, right? You've been in the industry for so long. Um, how come that all those property management have those exact same issues, right? Because you've seen that, right? You pick up properties from, from third-party management and they all have the exact same challenges over and over. I, I'd love to hear your perspective with all of your experience about that. I mean, I think my perspective on it is that when you are a huge um, operator of a management company, like these large property management companies, you know, you're just a number, you just become a number to them, you know, because I've worked for the large property management companies. And I think part of the problem is, is that, like you said, there's not enough oversight on the properties to be able to determine, you know, why, why, you know, like we have a property right now that we are purchasing from a large management company and they're giving away one month free on this property one month free rent in this market. I haven't seen that in seven to 10 years, no concessions, you know, but they can't lease the apartments. And so they try to just tell these, they tell the owners what an owner, what they think an owner's going to believe. And so they say, oh, well, the market's dictating a one month concession. And most owners don't look into that because they don't have the time. They're trusting the, the operators of, of the management to, to be telling them what's really going on in the market or operation wise. And they just don't, you know, I think they, what I always tell Steve is I feel like a lot of these large companies have the gift of the gab, but they don't, they don't walk the walk. They talk the talk real well. You know, I'm sure you've experienced it where they tell you everything that you want to hear, but it, the numbers never show the results. Mm -hmm. Or when the it's, it's just, isn't getting up there, they, 
they all, all of a sudden have these these excuses they have like a list of excuses that they pick from you know to justify why you're not at so and so occupancy you know what i mean this is what we you know steve had a property that i we took over management on and they were having an occupancy issue and this management company kept telling steve that the reason for the occupancy issue was that they weren't getting qualified traffic in the door on day one, my regional maintenance supervisor went out there and walked all the vacant units. The reason why they couldn't increase the occupancy was because they had 21 down units on the property that Steve knew nothing about. Yeah. They, they lied. They told they, on the rent roll, it says that there's, there was no non-revenue units. Yeah. And there was all these units that were, they were taking things over to, to fix other ones. The things we had plenty of money in the bank, so I don't know why they were doing that. And so well, within 30 days, we to keep an eye on them. within 30 days, we turned those units, got them occupied and increased the income by twenty, thirty thousand dollars just on those 12 units. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we've had that as well. When we took over, we found residents that were told there's no parts. There is uh, we, we, we ordered the parts. And it's like at the same time, the parts are in the shop, right? It's like, it's right there. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I feel it comes from a place where, um, like you said, oversight. Uh, mm -hmm. If there's no oversight, if there's no one caring, right? Uh, right before we took over, we got to the point that we were actually going through each unit ledger. And like you said, Steve, that's not asset management, right? So when I got mm -hmm. to that point, I said, okay, so if I'm doing all that work, why do I have to pay someone else to do that, right? Uh, um, right. So, so that was one of those little points of push, <laughs> like you mentioned earlier, for us. So um one of the things that i've noticed and, and that's like we said earlier they're only as good as the regional and the people on site that they hire um what is uh some of your philosophy about hiring right because it's a very unique industry to be honest right we buy properties that are millions and millions of dollars and then we hand over the keys to a manager on site that has a salary base of fifty sixty thousand dollars or even less sometimes right so how do you hire what's important to you when you hire an on-site manager for example or regional uh, how do you make sure you get the right people in well i'm going to tell you first off that michelle is perfect to answer this and explain because i'll tell you from an operator point of view that she knows we joke about this all the time because every time i go and tour a property that i'm interested in buying and it's like a running joke now. So like, she's like, are you going to tell me that you like the manager, right? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> she seems really good. She seems like, and then, you know, and it always turns out it's like, okay, she's shit. And that, you know, they just telling me what I want to hear, even, you know, just looking at a property because they just want to keep their job kind of thing. And yeah. we never keep them. And Michelle always points out to me why things that they say and do that they were totally lying and making up stuff. So. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I think unfortunately a lot of it is experience of interviewing people, you know, for people that don't have that experience, it becomes harder to determine what, what is a good manager and what's a bad manager. I've interviewed them for 31 years and regional managers that it's, it's, it's slightly easier for me. We do have a test that I require managers to take because they, you know, in an interview will tell you they know everything. But when you ask them to, to, to give you the formula to calculate cash flow and it's on a test, I'm telling you, nine times out of ten, a manager can't tell you where cash flow comes from. And it's 
you know, total income minus total operating expenses minus your capital equals cash flow. Um, it's pretty simple. But I think a lot of people, what I find is they're really good at interviewing, kind of like a management company is really good at telling you what, what they think you want to hear. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of interviewer interviewees are. Um, and so you, I, I think bottom line, it's, you know, you got to get down to testing them and putting it, you know, on paper what they know. Yeah. So what would be a red flag for you in an interview? <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> I know. Give us a few. Um, a huge red flag to me is somebody that's texting or talking on their phone or answering phone calls because that's what they're going to do all day long at work. Um, that just irritates me to no end. You don't know how many times I'm in an interview and somebody is texting or answering their phone. It's insane. During the interview? Uh, yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. That's a huge red flag. Um, again, the, the yes ma'ams, the yes ma'am, yes ma'am, oh yes ma'am, I can reduce your delinquency. But then I say, tell me how you're going to reduce my delinquency and they start fumbling. You know, you got to watch out for that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Just like we talked about with a management company, they know how to, yes, sir, you, yes, sir, you, where you think, wow, this person really knows what they're talking about, but they don't. Yep. They're just used to the gift of the gab, but they can't walk the walk. I mean, I'm, I'm adamant about that, you know? Yeah, that's, that, that's good. Um, we've, We've gotten to the point and we're in a, most of our properties are in a smaller uh, town. So there's just not a lot of depth in the town pool. So right. uh, we got to the point that when we hire someone, they start on a 1099. We don't bring them on board uh, for the first 30 days until they prove themselves uh, because we literally have to send people home after a few days or after a week. Um, they just, they tell you, yeah, I can do this. I right. can do that. And that's true to maintenance and office. It's kind of, oh, I yes. can do this and I can do this. And then you get to, uh, uh, the reality and it's kind of like they're, they're, they don't know, they don't know how to do it. Right. And on, a, on the maintenance, um, and we also have a test they have to take because yes, they do the same thing. Yeah. I can fix air conditioners and they have their EPA certification, but you tell them to go out and fix one. They don't know how. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, you got to test people, you know, and I did, you know, Steve had a friend that owned a small property in a small town here in Georgia, and he could not find a good manager. And I gave him my test and he said, wow, that was phenomenal. I found somebody that could pass the test <laughs> um, and she worked out well for him, you know, because again, people like to talk the talk. Yep. That's absolutely true. Um, okay. that, that sort of leads into one other thing too, about, uh, I just wanted to say, um, this is why I, I do a lot of these panel discussions at the, I don't know if you've been to the IMS event. Mm -hmm. I'm in, in, yeah, in, uh, I am in, yeah, sorry, in, uh, in New York and in Chicago, I did and Santa Monica and, and the panel that I've been mostly doing or asked to be on was about the difference between having third party management or your own. And that's what the discussion is about. So I'm sort of used to talking about that and, and, uh, you know, it, it's so, the first thing I always tell people is, because it's misleading, and the first thing I say is, I just want to make it clear, we're not saying that you should just go out and say, hey, I'm a management company now. You should, if you're talking about starting your own management company, what we're saying is, 
to find someone and bring someone in to operate the company that knows what they're doing, not that you do. And this also goes back to interviewing staff. And unfortunately, property operators like like us, I mean, of course, you know, we talk to staff, we, you know, if, if we think they suck, we're going to say something, but, you know, but, but at, at the same token is we don't see them and talk to them every day. So we just meet them once they, and like, they tell you what you want to hear. And we think they're a nice person and that's that, but we don't really know what they like to work with or how they're doing their job every day. So it's run by emotions. So it's like anybody else. If I meet anybody once they could, you know, I can instantly like them and they all nice. And the second I walk out the door, they start cursing me out behind my back. I mean, you don't know, but when Michelle works, has to work with them and speak to them every day. And the number one thing is actually see their performance every month. That's it. If they don't perform, then they're they got to go. You got to yeah. go. Yes. Michelle's pretty strict on that one. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, one of the things that was a real challenge for me to kind of uh, think through uh, was um, how do I handle compliance, right? Because there's so many fair housing rules and regulations and all kinds of things that you have to, and HR stuff, right, that, that you have to worry about. And um, I, I think that you, you hit it on the nail and, and it's finding that right person to lead the, the whole uh, uh, venture of creating your own property management company. And when I was interviewing for uh, my VP uh, of operations, I told all the candidates, I'm not looking for a number two. I'm looking for a number one, right? I want someone that can come in, set this thing up, and then become my number one so I don't have to be in the property management day to day. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and, and not that I kind of threw the keys over the fence, so that never works, right? Uh, I'm still in the trenches because we're still only uh, a few six months in, right? Uh, but uh, I, I hired the person that I felt that at some point I'll be able to take a step back and let her run the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what do you guys do when it comes to compliance? How do you keep your people up to date with fair housing and all this kind of stuff? Because uh, a lot of the people will have the same hesitation I had with, well, just how do I do all that? Well, we have an HR uh, director that handles all of that for us and keeps us in compliance and sends out all of the latest and greatest laws on everything. So, I mean, that's something that we have a department that does that for us. Okay. And um, do you guys use certain online classes for fair housing? Yes. Grace Hill. We're using Grace Hill as well. Okay. Grace Hill's good because they have to get their certificates. So if you ever have a lawsuit, like a fair housing lawsuit, it's awesome that all of your people have taken the fair housing class. And Mm -hmm. that is just such a great way to document all of that. um, If you ever get yourself into that situation. Yeah. Which you will. You will. (laughs) It's not an if, it's a way. Don't think you're immune to it. (laughs) Nobody is. We actually found that there are certain people that would call and try to trap our people. Right. Like they have professional shoppers that do that to see if you're going to violate fair housing. Yeah, but I'm not talking about the government. I'm talking about actually people trying to trap oh, you. Oh, yeah. So they you. Yeah, they make uh, a living out of it. Yeah. That's Same just, with other lawsuits on your properties. They're, they're, they're so savvy to it. They go out and trip on a curb and sue you and say they broke their ankle. Yeah, you're always going to have those folks. We had one at a property the other day that 
bitches and the entire living sealant tried to that it fell on them and injured them. But we got real smart with that and hired an engineer to say that they pulled it down. Yeah. Um, and they really did. Yeah. It's oh, crazy what people will do. And I think a lot of times that's what scares people to open their own management company is they don't know how to handle fair housing, lawsuits, liabilities, you know, but if you hire somebody like myself, that's been in the industry for 31 years, I know how to handle all, the, all of those issues for Steve. Yeah. And good insurance. <laughs> yes. Always have good insurance and make sure you don't let your insurance lapse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, Hindsight, Steve, um, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but uh, would you start management, uh, your own management day one, or would you still go through the process of starting with third party and, and then transitioning? Um, I would, well, I would still start with third party because I, I think in a way you don't have a choice when you're starting, especially if you're going to jump right in and buy 100 units plus. Um, it sounds too daunting to, I remember first property bought, actually one Michelle was talking about, Parkside Crossing back in 2015. It was 250 units. And I had been looking at smaller properties first over my first year of due diligence before we bought. So we'd be looking at like 20 and then 30, 40, 80, 100. Then I thought, you know, I got myself psychologically up to the point where I felt like I already owned all those smaller properties. So nope, now I'm going to buy 100. And then I ended up buying 250. And the first time you go to a 250 unit property and you've never owned a property before, I, was, I couldn't even find my way around. I, was, I felt like I was lost. And then now, of course, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But at the time, it was like, holy crap, what the heck have I done? Uh, yeah. But I think without having third-party management first, you don't learn what you're doing wrong or what they're doing wrong. So I think it's really important to still learn from it. It's not like they don't have any idea what they're doing. They're just not, like I said, totally aligned. Uh, with your goals and uh, but they're not you know if you get a decent one that's um, recommended or whatever they're not like terrible like they don't have any idea you learn a lot from seeing what's going on and how it evolves you know maybe at least over the first year uh, and then you know you've got to have something to compare it to when you finally do do your own thing and you've got someone pointing out what's wrong and showing you the proof in the pudding of what how it can be so I think it's important to learn I'm not going to say the wrong way first, but just not the most efficient way. Yeah, well, that, when we start out, you don't know what you don't know, right? And, yeah. and that's one of the biggest challenges. And trial uh, by fire is not the best way either. <laughs> yes, uh, but I don't know if I would recommend anybody to wait until they're, you know, at the financial threshold, which is somewhere around the 1,200, 1,500 units. Mm -hmm. I'd say as soon as you feel comfortable uh, professionally to handle that, even if it means you make an investment and in the first year you're going to be negative cash on, 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 or net loss on your management company, it's still worth it. Well, that, that's a good point, actually, because a lot of people uh, seem to think, not, not operators, but other people seem to think like, uh, especially investors, oh, but you're making 4% management and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, and you try to, you're trying to explain to them that, we don't make any profit where it's 4% or whatever it is that's in line with the market. And not to mention, we don't have all these extra fees in there that we're charging and taking advantage of like, like other third parties do, you know, and, and that mount that really mounts up that we, we, I was shocked when I realized what they were charging me for all these, you know, stealth fees and things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a big 
Well, it's not only that. It, it's kind of like you look at the math, right? The, the, what you charge for the management and the amount of brain damage that management yeah, that's, that's generates. Uh, um, the, it's not a good business. I really don't see how third-party management do. And that, I guess, is part of the reason why they don't do such a great job because if they'll actually put all the time required, they're not going to make any money. Yeah. Right? Well, again, that's what I tell, like, especially investors, you know, the, our management entity is really a loss leader. And yeah. what it does is really enable us to run each of our set, you know, I consider every property as a separate business. Obviously, you know, we have some crossover investors and some different in every property. So you want, you know, it's not like having a portfolio where some are up and some are down. You want every property's got to perform good. Yeah. So um, we're not worried about making money with that. We're trying to just make each property run more efficiently by yeah. having that in-house service. So it's really a service to our investors, if anything, not uh, anything making money for me. Yeah. I, I like the way you phrased it. It's, it's a loss leader. It's not a, um, yeah. it, it's not a profit center. It really is not. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, Michelle, tell us a little bit about the things that you guys like to do on your properties for the residents, right? Like, do you do any events and parties and promotions or, or uh, what do you do to kind of increase retention? I guess that's what I'm really looking for. Well, we did until COVID-19 hit. Yeah, now all of that has ceased and desisted. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, I mean, we do, you know, weekly, like once every two months, we'll do like um, a whole week of resident appreciation week where we do a different event every day for uh, of an entire week for the residents. We do pool parties. We do Christmas parties. Every holiday, we definitely do something for the residents, um, you know, we have our our staffs have really great re relationships with all of our residents and you know that comes from you know Steve down to me down to them I mean we believe that the residents are paying everybody's salaries the residents are you yeah. know making the properties perform financially you know so I mean we even during COVID-19 we don't have a lot of delinquent residents on our properties and we have not changed our operations at all during the whole pandemic and I think it's our residents like us and respect us and we give them that back also yeah so I'll, I'll give you a few examples of, of what I'm looking for right so for example we used to do pre-COVID <laughs> uh, uh, back to school uh, parties. So we would actually reach out to a few vendors like a hairdresser and, you know, local pizza shops and, and uh, other vendors and bring them in so the kids would get free haircuts, right? Uh, it's the little things that we like to do. Uh, we usually towards the end of the year where there is a challenge, usually a bigger challenge with collections because uh, C-class uh, residents somehow prefer to pay uh, by gift over paying rent. Uh, right. So, so the Amazon didn't get big from nothing, you know. <laughs> God is so weird, but it is what it is. Uh, so we used to uh, incentivize them, like uh, giving away movie tickets. That's another thing that due to COVID, um, uh, movie tickets, and we would raffle big LED TVs. So, uh, do you have any of those little things that you guys are doing that are not just the usual pool party, Christmas party? 
Um, yeah, I mean, we do all of those kind of events. Every property does different things depending on the manager and the residents at the property. You know, if we have a property that has a large profile of children, then yes, we'll do like Easter egg hunt for the kids or, you know, yes, back to school. We'll like, you know, kind of do with like what Channel 3 News here in Atlanta does, stuff the bus. We do like donations for school supplies for the kids on the property. You know, we, we do all like that kind of charity stuff for the residents also yes we do that's awesome that's another um, thing about having good staff as well you can always tell good manager when they, they need to be firm but still approachable from the tenant's point of view and seem to be doing things at that end a lot of them really get into their work and have these things that they've done in the past that they like to do and they bring on board ideas of, of those sort of events and you can tell the ones that really get into it and like keeping the tenants really happy yeah it's like i said every property is different based on the staff and the profile and you know but all the managers have their own unique ways of what they do and they're all interesting and good like it's it's fun to watch what they do every month yeah that that's that's really great and and it comes from a place of caring i guess right if you have the right manager and they care about the resident then they will bring up those suggestions. They will ask for a budget to do something. And we always encourage our managers to think that way, right? Take care of your residents. Um, and, and if you need to fight for someone, come in and fight for someone, right? Uh, you'll never be punished for uh, um, defending your resident or advocating for your residents, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so that's great. So let's talk a little bit because I know you're very much like a lot of operators. You buy properties that are underperforming and, and you're trying to add value. So uh, we're going to look at both sides of the equation, right? Increasing revenue and uh, reducing expenses. Let's start with the revenue side. Uh, give us a few examples of things that you guys like to do that is not the usual raise rent, right? Because that's the easy one, right? Uh, give us a few examples. I mean, on, on a lot of the properties we take over, they're not billing back all the utilities and we bill back all utilities, water, sewer, trash, pest control. Um, a lot of the properties we take over don't bill back any of that. Um, day of takeover, all concessions are eliminated. We do not do concessions. I mean, literally we're taking over a property that has like, you know, a, a ton of concessions year to date and it's, it's just not necessary if you have the right staff on the property. And, and it's all gonna go back to that, like you said. It's gonna go back to having the right people in the office that are gonna increase your income and reduce your expenses. So the utilities, concessions, and the, the one thing I tell all of our staff members that will fix any property is vacancy loss. You reduce your vacancy loss on the day of takeover, like within 30 days, you're going to see your income increase hugely and your expenses are going to decrease. You're not paying vacant utilities. You don't have to turn that unit. It's occupied. You know, it, it's just getting back to the basics of property management that really solves all operational income issues. Yeah, that that's. That's pretty much uh, calling it, you know. Um, okay, Steve, do you have any examples that uh, um, you can think of? Um, well, in general, I mean, what Michelle's saying, I mean, I always say one of our main things, you know, we, we have, or I have three things I, I look for or do to raise value. When you say value add, it's always a bit sort of open-ended of what, what is value add? And a lot of people that don't know, they just 
if you're adding value, they think you're building something or, you know, like interior, doing interiors or renovations. But the reality is just anything that makes it more valuable. Mm -hmm. So our, my strategy when I buy is, number one, of course, is just buying right. If you don't buy it right and then pay the right price in the first place, you're just dead in the water anyway. Um, and number two, really, the, the biggest thing that adds value is management efficiency. And that's a combination of, of reducing uh, expenses and, you know, uh, raising your utility basis. I mean, we take over some properties and they are charging for water, but they're only getting, you know, recouping like 50%. Um, we can get that up, you know, over, you know, probably a, maybe it's, it takes a nine month turnover to get it up to, you know, near 100% um, of, of the, you know, the tenant used water. Mm -hmm. uh, that's huge. You can add millions on on a big property um, in, in capitalized income. Um, so it really is just mostly that type of thing. It's always, I always say it's a man, it's mostly a management play. And then any work we do is, is extra. We might do upgrade 25% of units or do some, you know, lighter upgrades on all units as we turn. But most of it is just getting to grips with it right away. We know in advance, um, you know, in advance when you buy a property, what things need to be fixed. And, you know, if you have someone to implement them, then, you know, you can turn it around quickly. And really it's, it's not specific things. It's a combination of, of those things, you know, just lowering any expenses that aren't correctly, uh, you know, being being charged correctly, and and really so it is it's, it's a lot of it's just collecting the income, training the tenants. Good manager knows how to you know train, retrain the existing tenants, and train the new ones as they come in, so that they know you collect on you know on time. Uh, you know, we file on the, whatever the tenth of the month, things like that. So training them and having a more systematic approach to collections and everything is really a huge difference. Absolutely. And you kind of touched on reducing expenses. So, so let's talk about reducing expenses. Uh, where do you guys find the most value of, if I do this, I get that much reduction in expenses, right? So, so where, what are the big stones in, in expense reductions? You know, I have to say that one of the biggest misconceptions in property management is that utilities are a non-controllable expense and they are controllable. And that is where most of your money is going out the window. Um, you know, if you start to see that your water bill is increasing, don't ignore it. Get somebody out there. We have a regional maintenance director. So it, I monitor the monthly utility bills on every property. And if I see a water bill is starting to climb up, I send him out there and nine times out of 10, there's a leak on that property somewhere. And mm -hmm. most people don't do that. And then it goes from 11,000 to 15,000 to 20,000. And then, it, oh my God, the water bill is now 20 grand. It used to be 11. What's going on? Yeah. Um, you know, if you catch it right away, when you start to see that increase happening, you know, another thing is vacant utilities, whether it's gas or electric. My managers walk those once a week, every vacant unit, you know, to check for mold or check for leaks and to make sure all the utilities are not cut off because you need power for the refrigerator. Um, mm -hmm. But the air conditioner's not blasting on 50 degrees all day and night for 30 days straight. You know, yep. so you have to have somebody that's monitoring those vacant bills and your all of your utility bills. Because I'm telling you, we save, you know, I had a property last month that the water bill did go from 11,000 to 15. And I immediately called the regional maintenance director and said, you need to get out there. Guess what? The bill's back down to 11 again. Yeah, we caught it immediately. You know, there was leaks on the property. 
Um, so, you know, it's, I, I think everybody that has ever trained me in this industry says utilities are a non-controllable expense. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's one of the biggest controllable expenses. Really, yeah. it is. You know, another thing is advertising. We're buying a property in, in the next 30 to 60 days where this company has spent year to date $85,000 on advertising. Oh my God. Right? Anything Do like you it? know that on our properties, we spend zero on advertising because I have the right employees that know how to market. They know how to lease. You know, I always tell everybody an apartment is a box. You know, it's just a box that you're selling. They're all pretty much the same. It's the people. You know, people lease an apartment because of the person that they're dealing with, the customer service they're getting, you know, how that person made you feel. I am a huge proponent about how, you know, first impressions and how you make somebody feel the first time they meet you. And if you're on your phone and you're texting and they're waiting and they're wanting to see an apartment, they're like, I'm out of here. You know, yeah. so if you have the right people, you don't, you know, and I find that these third party management companies, and this is a third party managed property, you know, instead of looking at the staffing, because they've turned the staffing over three times already, the entire staff, and instead of like going, okay, we got a major staffing problem here. They're telling the owner we need to spend $85,000 on advertising. This was the one that we mentioned before, earlier on in, in the conversation yeah. uh, that uh, was having trouble with the occupancy. This is, this is the their one month free. For fixing it. You know, spend more yeah. of the owner's money. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. I don't even know what they're spending $85,000 on. Um, but, I want to uh, know. I, I've asked the broker, can you please give me a breakdown? Because out of curiosity, I just need to know, you know, for my own gig. I mean, we do a website, but we have a website that's, you know, from a company that, you know, as soon as we know we're taking over, they get it ready. Uh, that's the only thing we do pretty much. Um, that's it. Might do so, some minor so stuff, we, but it's mostly just traffic coming in and as Michelle said, just having good staff. That can yeah, when we took over the, one of our properties, they were using apartments.com and they were paying like a thousand dollars a month for this thing. Yeah. And it, and then when we drove into the ROI, it was just not there. It wasn't generating any traffic. Mm -hmm. And there were bills and bills and bills from apartment list, for example. And just turns out if they visited apartment list website at some point, and then they showed up on your property, it might be unrelated. They just drove by. Mm -hmm. You're still getting charged for the lead because apartment lists uh, kind of logged them first. And it's stuff like that, that we eliminated immediately. That's one of the uh, things you find out about from, you know, uh, the hard way from third party management. They're spending $1,000 a month of my money on apartments.com. And then you don't think anything about it for a long time until you say, you know what, I'd like to see, can you show me the analytics from that? And, uh, yeah. and then they go, oh, gee, we don't have any leases from apartments.com. And you're like, why am I still spending $1,000 a month? Oh, I don't know. That's third party management. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Uh, um, so we, uh, you know, we also have a media company that builds multifamily websites, right? Uh, because we kind of feel we crack the formula, layout, templates, and, and so on, to the point that we get about five, six leads, at, organic leads a day coming to our property website and, and put in all the information, look for an apartment. And this is every property, every day, organically we don't spend a dime on it um, uh, one of the things that we uh, uh, we also learned is that 
because we also have a brokerage, right? We got a fully vertically integrated organization. We also have a brokerage. So we put our apartments on the MLS. Well, the MLS propagates to hundreds of different websites, including realtor.com and Zillow and apartment list and, and Zamper and all these guys. So we get leads through those for free. So why pay apartment list if they're going to give you a free lead just because you put it on the MLS? Mm -hmm. So, um, that's just another way that we found that we can get a lot of different leads um, and, and use them without paying for it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so uh, I wanna be conscious of everybody's time um, when you look back a little bit, right? And if, you know, you could go back in time to a younger self, right? And what, what would you tell yourself? And let's assume you can't tell yourself that 2009 would be the bottom by anything you can put your hands on, right? Uh, uh, short of that, what advice would you give yourself, uh, your younger self? Well, I certainly wish I got into it much earlier. I mean, I, I have been involved in real estate for since you know, about 20 years now and, you know, more doing development and, uh, other, other stuff along the just about everything along the way, buying and selling commercial property, stuff like that. But I really didn't know 100% about, you know, how great multifamily was till five or six years ago. And uh, then I just decided to do that 100%. I wish I did that way before that. Um, it's just a great business and it's, uh, it's much safer than doing spec building and, you know, things like that. It's just, you know, as long as you, learn how to operate them properly. It's a, it's a great business model. That's great. I great. wish we did it a long time ago. Okay. So we're recording this at the end of July of 2020. It'll be a miss not to mention COVID, right? And we kind of mentioned it a little bit along the way, but how did COVID impact your operations? I think I heard Michelle say that um, you changed nothing in the operations. Did you stay fully open? Did you do any work orders, even the small ones? Uh, um, how did you guys adjust and how did your residents adjust? You know, when the COVID first hit, Steve called me panicking, you know, and I fully understand. I was a little rattled myself, but I'm the I'm like the calm one, you know. So when it hit, you know, and everybody, you know, has their opinions and there's so many people that want to say, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this. And you know what I said to Steve? I said, Steve, I'm going to continue to operate like normal. And I'll adjust if I have to as we go along, but I'm just not going to listen to all this rhetoric that's going on, you know, that I keep hearing, you know, so, you know, absolutely. We put, you know, safeguards in place. All our offices are open. We do full work orders, you know, because part of my problem was, you know, on a 348 unit property, if we hadn't been doing work orders since February and it's now July, can you imagine? We'd never dig out of that hole and the residents would be miserable and we'd be devaluing the property by not fixing these items. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the beginning of it, I just told Steve, I'm going to run it like normal, but we're going to require our employees to wear masks. Maintenance have to wear uh, gloves and masks. We're going to sanitize. We're going to close down all the common areas such as the pool, the fitness center, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm happy to say at the end of July, I have not had one employee or one resident that has had COVID-19. That's great. Um, we kind of had to uh, minimize to emergency only work orders for a little while. Uh, I think that was like for, um, March, April and, and some of May. 
And then when things started calming down a little bit, we kind of went back and, and because like you said, it builds a backlog. And if you don't catch up on it, it can be a real problem. So uh, um, it took us a little while, but we finally got kind of kind of caught up on, on all that backlog. And we never closed the office because your residents still service, right? Mm-hmm. They still need service. They still need attention. Uh, you still need to renew leases. You still need to lease apartments and, and show. So, yes, we adjusted. We had masks and sanitizing and um, we did virtual tours to anybody that wasn't comfortable to do a, an in-person tour. Um, but overall, we're an essential business. We've got to keep operating. We have people to take care of uh, that lives in the, those apartments. Uh, you can't really shut it down. No. Right. And we of course, it is communication deal. as well, though, with the tenants. I mean, you know, of course, we, we had uh, asked tenants and, you know, and put notices out and said, please, you know, don't call if it's not something that, you know, is really that important, you know. Um, so we have, uh, you know, do would like a bit of tenant cooperation, um, you know, on that side, too. I mean, don't come in the office unless you really need to. Don't call us because uh you know to change your light bulb or something ridiculous you know i mean come on you know so it's a bit of common sense i think in communication yeah and and sometimes we had to have that conversation with the residents kind of look it's not an emergency we're not just trying to protect our team member we're also trying to protect you and everybody else in the community right because if our team maintenance team is walking in and out of unit all day long if one of them gets sick he can get the entire complex sick right so Mm -hmm. Uh, it was also protecting them. So, so like you said, a lot of communication that was going on with the residents to help them understand. Uh, a lot of them are very, and so are we, very sorry that we can't open the pools just yet. Uh, um, especially here in Texas, you know, it gets hot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. And we got to follow the, the city code and all the instructions. Um, so um, it, it's definitely different. Right, caught everybody by surprise, and, and we all have to adjust in some way uh, to, to the situation. So um, I'll, I'll just ask one last question. is like, what's next for your organization, right? Uh, what's the plans? Are you guys still buying in 2020? Are you planning on development? Uh, where are you going forward? Uh, we're still sticking with, you know, what we do, which is, you know, mostly specializing in a more of a C you know, C to B, C plus to B minus sort of uh, demographic. That seems to be our, you know, niche specialization sort of market, uh, which is what we're, what we're used to dealing with. And uh, we weren't doing anything for the first couple of months or more. Like if most people weren't, no one really knew what to expect, what's going on. It felt like the market shut down, you know, as far as buying and selling and stuff. Hey, everyone pulled out of deals that we know uh, that were, that were under contract things like that. But um, lately, uh, you know, things have seemed to pick up a little bit. You know, we've really been, or I've been weighing up what I think, you know, listening to industry news, economic news, and trying to, you know, feel my way through what, what my opinion is. At the end of the day, I, I think there is a, you know, good justification for buying if their price, you know, risk-adjusted pricing, which I don't see a lot of uh, at the moment, but we are buying. So we, we have a, a 93 unit we're closing on next Tuesday um, that just sort of came up and that actually was on the market quite a while, uh, you know, pre-COVID and they had offers on it in, in the 80s a door and we're buying it for 69 a door uh, because the guy decided he wanted to sell it and everybody pulled out and I said, yeah, we'll do that uh, for the right price so that it's yeah. priced in, you know, any, any downside. 
Um, and of course, the upside is, you know, a lot of it on, on our, my plan right now buying is that uh, hopefully, you know, even in two years from now, we're back to, uh, you know, income related cap rates and pricing based on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so hopefully we'll, we'll gain something from that. Plus, it's got management efficiencies. Um, and then we got another 260 unit property, which we're closing on in about, I don't know, somewhere between 45 to 60 days. And uh, that's been a great deal as well. Really great property. Uh, where we already have a property, the one that Michelle said that we're taking over, that needs a lot of management efficiency run by a big management company. Meanwhile, we have a property on the same road as that that's inferior and our rents are higher and we're 100% occupied. So they have that's, no excuse. Yeah, <laughs> so no, we're, we're buying, but quickly. That's the best purchases, right? When you have a proof that you can do better, right? Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's way lower risk that way. Awesome. So it sounds like it's onward and upward for you guys. Uh, that's fantastic. Um, I want to take a minute and say thank you for both of you taking the time today and um, being on the show. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you guys and, and find you, maybe invest in one of your deals, how can they find you? And we'll put links in the show notes for all of that. Sure. Well, our, our uh, website is just www.crownbaygroup.com. Um, you can go on there. I think, you know, our email's on there, info at crownbaygroup.com. Um, uh, anybody's, you know, welcome to send me an email or, or you know, uh, send a message uh, through, through, through there or directly on the email to uh, get in touch with me and I'll, I'll get back in touch with you or we can get on a call or whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, that's really the best way. We also have an investor tab on, on there as well on our website. Uh, you can click on that, which takes you to our um, uh, investor portal, which has, which we actually just really got up and running during COVID. We thought it's a good time. Let's do something proactive here. So let's get that. We got that just up and running. And the first deal is actually on there now. Um, and if you click on that, you can actually see all the documents and, uh, you know, downloadable items. Awesome. Great. Uh, we'll definitely make sure we have the links in the show notes. Uh, for the listeners, thank you so much for listening to our show. We appreciate if you can take some time and go to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, and leave a review for us. One star, five stars, whatever stars you feel is right for us, we'll appreciate it. Our website is APTOPR, where we can, you can watch all of the shows, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to enjoy more episodes, please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. For questions or feedback, please visit our site at www.aptopr.com.